In the name of the one who redeems and sets us free, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. I've come to a conclusion of late that by and large, we are a touchy-feely kind of people. Now, I would acknowledge that we're on a spectrum of that, but what I mean by it is, is that we like to touch and feel things to assure us that something is real. Think about it. It starts when we are but babies. Recall the toddlers that you know that are into touching everything, every part of you and the world around them, and eventually putting that real thing to test by putting it in their very mouths. Right? They try and eat your nose and suck on your face. In observation, I believe the more we care about something or someone, the more we want to not only touch, but also to hold on to that something or someone. Well, Thomas was no different than you or I. He wants to touch and feel these wounds of Jesus. The wounds that he saw inflicted on his beloved, his Rabboni, as Mary so lovingly called him in last week's resurrection story. The story where Mary wanted to hold on to Jesus with all she had, having lost him to death at one point to find him again, it seems only logical she would want to never let go. She didn't want to let loose of him again. But he told her to not hold on. Don't hold on to me, for I still must ascend to my father. Who is your father? And then he sent her to go. To go. Tell his disciples that he would see them in Galilee. It's really fantastic, isn't it, that a dead man, brutally killed, is now alive? What next? If death can no longer have a hold on him, what or who can possibly hold him back or hold him out? He's on the loose. And he's showing up in surprising places without even unlocking the door. In today's gospel story, it says it's a later that same first day. Jesus appears in the upper room where the disciples are in lockdown. And there in his resurrected body that neither tombs nor locked doors can contain or keep out, he appears He's won victory over death itself and now can pass anywhere at any time. And it seems that on the heels of appearing to Mary at the tomb, he's gone to meet with those he loved, those he called his disciples, to prepare them 
to further equip them with words of peace. Three times he says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. My peace be with you. And then he breathes, leaving them an advocate that we'll later celebrate in Pentecost. He breathes the Holy Spirit on them, equipping them, empowering them to go and do what he has done and so much more. But I think that there is something particularly powerful about the fact that Jesus shows up and his wounds are still visible, still present. In my limited thinking, I would have thought in a resurrected body that there would not be any wounds anymore. Everything would be all perfect and shiny and glittery. But these wounds... These wounds that he took on for us, that he did, that we might not only identify with him, but that he took them on, he took on our very sin, paying the price for what we were due. You see, before Jesus went to the cross, he was put on trial for being the king of the Jews. Pilate, seeing his innocence, wanted to release him. But fate had a known murderer, Barabbas, released in place of Jesus. And that is what Jesus does for you and I. He substitutes. He takes our place, giving us life, giving his life for ours. This is grace, that while we were still sinners, he gave his life for us. We didn't deserve it or earn it, and our challenge is to receive it and then to pass that on. You see, sin is given. It's a given in our human condition, and Max Licato, one of my favorite modern-day preachers, talks about sin as being essentially our wanting to be God rather than to serve God. We can't seem to help ourselves in changing this. I mean, who among us could be perfect without sin for a week or even a day or maybe an hour Just try it today. See if you could go an hour without sinful thoughts or words or actions. It can't be done. We need God's mercy. We need a Savior. And the great news is he's come and he's alive. Our human condition or ego fights to have its own way. Thomas gives us a perfect example of this. Having missed out on Jesus' appearance in the upper room with the disciples, he wants to see for himself. He says, if I can't see and touch his wounds, I am not going to believe that Jesus is truly alive. 
And so Jesus comes again into that same upper room where they are still in lockdown. And he invites Thomas to do just that, to come and to put his hands in Jesus' side and to touch his nail-scarred hands. And he says to him, do not, do not doubt, but believe, Thomas. It's as if to say, it's real, Thomas. This love, the depth of my love for you is so deep, it's in these wounds. That I even died for you, that you could have life. And Thomas believes without touching, just seeing And he's humbled to receive Jesus' love and life. And in that moment, Jesus blows the doors open for the rest of us when he says, Have you believed because you've seen me, Thomas? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet come to believe. That's you and me and everybody else in the whole world. It was a privilege to be there right up close and personal with those apostles. And then just in case we missed why Jesus did all of this, the final paragraph in our text today gives us the cliff notes. I love cliff notes. It says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. These are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. Do you hear how he took on death so that we could have life? Life. I couldn't help but wonder over this last week where we too might be in lockdown like the disciples. Where we too, like the disciples, might hold Jesus outside our homes or our lives or even our hearts with our doubts and fears and questions. I wonder how we might hold him outside the walls we've built up over the years in defense of the world's hurts and betrayals. I wondered if we don't hold him out of our places of lockdown and fear because fact is there's no air in there. There's no room for a guest, certainly not one that blows about with such unpredictability. I had to wonder if we don't hold him outside the walls and wounds of our hearts because it seems safer that way. Too many bombs of disaster, disappointment, betrayal have gone off in our lives, and we're doing good just to hold it together. And we certainly cannot let our most wounded places be exposed. So we build up walls for protection. It's our human nature. This is the amazing thing about the resurrected Jesus, the one that brings life, is that walls don't keep him out. The amazing thing about the resurrected Jesus is that locked doors don't keep him out. 
The amazing thing about this resurrected Jesus is that even threats to never believe or doubts don't keep him away or out of our business. He is there continually seeking us out. And here is the most amazing thing to me in my discovery this week is that the amazing thing about this resurrected Jesus is that he enters our places of lockdown, our places of woundedness and brokenness with love and compassion, healing and understanding, and most importantly, with his own wounds. His own wounds which bear witness that to be human is to bear wounds. He comes back that we not be left alone with our situations, with our hurt. He comes back to breathe life, breathe life into our places of woundedness and lockdown so that these places can be places of transformation, turnaround, life, new life out of dead places in our hearts. How crazy is that? That God takes our worst nightmares and brings beauty out of it if we would let love in and believe. I recently met a young woman who was a gangbanger as a teen. She led a girl gang right here in Texas City in junior high and high school. And she told me how full she was of anger and expressed it in all the wrong ways. But now as a 30-something young lady, she is a family therapist and works with teens. She works to help them transform those places of greatest hurt where anger is the wall they've built up using creativity, using poetry and dance and art to find new life, to bring beauty out of that wounded place. Surely this is God's redemption in motion. It is God breathing new life into her wounds and not only healing her, but healing others in the process. That is the grace of this new life, of this resurrected king who's come in our midst, who won't stay out of our lockdown places. What crazy kind of love does that? God's love that spun the universe with you and mine, God who created you and said it is good and set out to bless you and wants to bring, hang out with you and I, to be close friends, to be so close that he is our very breath. You see, he sees you as the apple of his eye. So what do you need? What do you need to be convinced that Jesus is alive in your life today? What do you need to believe anew? 
What might be the worst thing that could happen if you acknowledge his presence in that deepest, darkest place, in your place of greatest pain? Some might fear condemnation, but he's not about that. Some might fear that he'll abandon them, but he's come back. He's come back for each and every one of us. And then some may fear such powerful love and mercy might cause us to lose it so bad that we'll never get our composure back again. That would be me. But he's got that covered too. He's come back. He's come back just so you and I can have a fuller life right here, right now, not in some far-off, distant, future heavenland, but right here, right now. And he breathed his Holy Spirit on you at your new birth. And I'm going to be so bold today as to ask him to breathe afresh on this congregation gathered and those who are not with us. Breathe a fresh breath of your Holy Spirit, Lord God, upon us and all our wounds. Penetrate our hearts, our walls, our fears. Come, Holy Spirit, with a fresh breath, I pray, that you heal us, that we might walk freely amongst the land of the living in resurrected life that we might share your grace with others. A place to begin is to ask God to forgive if you, and maybe, maybe I'm just preaching to myself, but if you've been holding him at bay in some place You might ask him to just simply forgive you and invite him to bring his light to that place that you might be set free. Maybe it's not you, it's somebody else in your life. Pray that for them. In C.S. Lewis's Narnia series, The Last Battle is the last of his books. The characters have come through fire of every sort and battles unimaginable for their lion king, Aslan. While I cannot recall all the details and could not find my copy, I've held on for years to. What stood out to me was that this Aslan, this God figure, this Christ figure, is thought to be dead, and they're huddled in a shack in fear of being killed as well. And when Aslan appears to them inside, they're locked down and offers them peace. Some, some take the offer of this peace, yet others don't trust it, and others still doubt that it is real. They believe, surely, this fear that I am feeling is the truth. It seems so real. That must be what is real. So they stay in the dark, in the hut, 
But for those who trust there is something more real with Asalon, they venture outside the dark hut and find, to their surprise, the most glorious hill with these blue skies and rolling hills of green grass to graze. And there is their friend Asalon, ready to run and play with them. It turns out that fear had died, had lied once again to save the ego and keep them safe. So I ask you this day, this second Sunday of Easter, what do you believe? Where do you long to walk in liberty or for someone you love to be in such liberty? It's there, I would imagine, you best ask Jesus to breathe new life there and then be prepared to be amazed.